Uh, today, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 12 and 13, just two verses. But these, these two verses contain profound truth and, and a key for living our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, all right? Philippians chapter two, let's read verses 12 and 13. It says this, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Five phrases that are going to help trace the argument through these two verses. The first phrase is this, look back. Look back. Verse 12 starts with, therefore. Anytime we see a therefore in the text, we're meant to look back to the preceding verses. I even have written in my Bible, every time you come to a therefore, I write, look back. So we'll look back to the verses before this. We're not meant to just take these verses, remove them from the context where they are here in scripture and just consider them on their own. We're meant to read them in light of the whole argument of this passage and the things that have come before. Okay, so let's, let's look back. If you look back from verse 12, you look up probably in your Bible or over you'll find that verse nine through 11 start with another therefore. Look back, all right, so let's look back again. You'll find that chapter two, verse one starts with a so or a therefore. Okay, let's look back again. Chapter one, verse 27 has an only, all right, stop. That's where we are meant to remember when we come to this therefore. We're meant to remember the original call to our lives to be focused on the one thing. And the one thing is what? Well, according to this passage, the one thing is the gospel. It's Jesus Christ and the good news about him. So here in 127, it's like, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And he's like, endure suffering and persecution, clinging to the gospel. And then in chapter two, he says, be unified in humility because of the gospel. And then chapter two, verses five through 11, he gives us the motivation for it all, which is the content of the gospel, that Jesus, fully God, fully man, lives the perfect life that we are incapable of living. He humbles himself even to the point of death on a cross to take our penalty and our place for our salvation. We need therefores daily in our life. We need regular times that we stop and we look back and we remember and rehearse the truth of the gospel to ourselves. This week I was in Lamentations chapter three where Jeremiah says, the steadfast love of the Lord 
never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We never outgrow our need for the gospel and God's grace. It's our hope. It's our fuel that propels us forward in our daily living. We need a daily therefore in our lives to remind us that we're meant to lift up our eyes off of our present circumstances and remember the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chapter two, verse six, he didn't grasp. Therefore, today, I don't need to grasp for my own glory or my rights or my wants. Chapter two, verse seven, he became a servant. Therefore, I can serve. I can serve my coworkers and my kids and my spouse and my small group. Chapter two, verse eight, he humbled himself and obeyed. Therefore, I can obey. I can get out of bed this morning and give myself to what he's called me to do because I have a purpose. I have a hope. Therefore, So Paul's like, considering all of that, considering everything that has come before so far in this letter, I have something to say to you. Next phrase that walks us through this passage is this. You are loved. You're loved. Look at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, my beloved. A lot of your translations probably say, dear friends, ah, I don't like that. I like the word beloved. I know we don't say it anymore, but it really captures the essence of what he's saying here. In the Greek, the word is agape toy. Do you hear it there? Agape, love. It means someone, or here it's plural, so it's someones who are the object of one's affection. So Paul, Paul's about to press into this church. And so the first thing he says is look back. Therefore, look back at Christ's love and then know that is an overflow of Christ's love. I love you. I love you, church. We are meant to press into each other in our walks with Christ. But that should always happen from a place of love because of my care for you and because of Christ's love for me and not just amongst us, but even outside of us. I even thought about this this week as I was correcting one of my children and I did it as a reaction and then later I was preparing for this sermon and I'm like, that was not in a place of love. It wasn't love in that moment that motivated me to correct my child in that way. It was my flesh. How do we press into each other? In love. And not just words, not just saying I I love you, but words that are backed by lives that demonstrate that love. Paul's like, look back, remember, you're loved, third phrase 
to take us through this is he says, good job. Good job. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, as you have always obeyed, the church at Philippi has been faithfully obeying God so far by obeying the instructions that Paul has given them. This is another demonstration of Paul's gentleness and the way that he approaches instructing them. This isn't a compliment sandwich by Paul. I, I, I can't stand compliment sandwiches because they're just complimenting you to soften the blow for what's coming next. And I'm always like, just get to the critique, okay? Skip all that. Paul's not compliment sandwiching here. He's saying, I really do love you. And you've done a good job. You've always obeyed. And so I'm, I'm proud of you. Radiant. Good job. You've, you've obeyed. How so? Well, one, you're here today. And you're like, well, Nate, that, that's not that hard. Ah, oh, it is for some of us. It was an act of obedience for many of you to get up today and to prioritize what God would have you prioritize, being here amongst your faith family, worshiping under the teaching and preaching of God's word. Good job. We have people in our midst that are serving each other, that are serving others outside of this place, good job. We have people increasingly trying to commit scripture to memory. We have people, some of you, every week I'm looking out and you're bringing people with you. Sometimes I'm wondering, how do you even know this many people? First service, there's someone I just love and I feel like every week she's got someone else that she's bringing and inviting to our faith family to come here and to worship. Good job. We have people increasingly devoting themselves to prayer, not only individually, but as a faith family. I'm proud of you. Good job. But Paul doesn't leave it there either, does he? Next phrase is this, keep working, keep working. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't let them just stay in their past obedience. He's like, not only that, but much more. He's like, look back. You're loved, I love you, you've done well. And then now he commands them to keep working. Work out your salvation. Work out here is one word in the original that means to continually be working to bring something to completion. You're like, whoa, Nate. Work with salvation? Help me understand this. I don't understand. I thought there wasn't 
work in salvation. Okay, we have to do some thinking here, all right? So big word alert. I promise, I promise I don't do big words unless they're in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, we need to know them, don't we? So that we know our Father and we know the implications into the way that we live in our salvation. So three words scripture uses to define different aspects of our salvation. They're these, justification, sanctification, and glorification. You may have heard them described like this. We are saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. And one day we will be ultimately saved even from the very presence of sin. So, so justification, what's that? It's this, by God's grace, when you place your trust in Jesus, he saves you in a moment, one time. He declares you not guilty and right with God. And now your status is in Christ. God sees you in Jesus Christ, in his perfect righteousness and his substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. And here's what's really cool. John 10 tells us that once the father takes hold of us through Christ, he never lets you go. No one can take you out of his hand. You are secure in him, justified, okay? This passage is not teaching justification by works. How do we know that? Well, look down there again. Remember, as you're looking at this, who is this written to? Chapter one, verse one, saints in Christ Jesus. This is written to believers. The other thing here is, look at the very words of scripture here. Work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. You are not earning something here. You are working out what already is. You are becoming who you already are. The aspect of salvation that this is talking about is sanctification, which is what? That's when the spirit now, as believers, works in us progressively across this lifetime so that we will become more and more like him. It's his process by which he makes us holy in this life. He saves us from the power of sin. And here's what's cool, and this is what this passage is telling us. We have a role to play in this process of sanctification. The Christian life involves effort, work out. I think sometimes people think that because we believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, that we're opposed to effort. We are not opposed to effort. Why not? Because scripture tells us it's involved. What we are opposed to is earning. We earn, we deserve nothing. But we are responsible to actively pursue Christ-likeness through obedience to his commands. About this time of year, some people who set health goals as New Year's resolutions, 
we start to struggle about this time of year. We start the year often believing that physical health is needed and that effort is required to achieve it. But by the end of the year, we find ways to convince ourselves I'm in good enough health. I, I, don't, I don't think I need this gym membership anymore. Maybe just a few runs a week, and then it gets a little further, and you're like, maybe just one run a week. A little bit further, and you're like, maybe, maybe I could just watch a Peloton video on YouTube <laughs> and visualize my goals while eating Cheetos, and I'll be great. And we all know that doesn't work with our physical bodies. Guess what? It doesn't work in our spiritual lives either. This is why Paul writes this. Because he, he knows that the enemy wants to lull you into apathy and laziness. Why? Why does the enemy want that? Well, it's to his benefit that you don't look like Jesus. It's to his benefit that you don't reflect him in this world and that you don't spend your lives telling people about him. An apathetic Christian is a Christian who's forgetting that we are at war. We're at war with a real enemy for the very souls of people. So are you working out? Are you expending effort to walk in obedience to the Lord and to become increasingly like him? Or are you just hoping all of this happens passively by osmosis? And remember, this is, this, is not, this is not just a work harder, work harder, work harder, work harder. The idea here is work well. Because this typically doesn't look like one-time massive acts of obedience in the Christian life. Rather, is what this is, is 10,000 little faithful acts of obedience as the Lord makes us into his image day by day by day. It's choosing to prioritize time in the word and prayer so that I can draw near to the Lord. It's being quick to repent of sin. It's choosing to forgive people. It's pushing down fear to just sit and listen and encourage someone and share the gospel with those people that God sovereignly puts in our path day to day. 10,000 little acts of obedience day by day by day. Paul's like, look back. Look back. Therefore, you're loved. Good job. Keep working. And the last phrase that guides us through this passage is this. God is working. God is working. In case you were tempted to think that sanctification is all on you, he's going to tell us that it's not. And this is really cool because he starts these verses by having us look back to the hope of the gospel. And then he ties this all together and supports his, his command to effort by coming back again to the hope of the gospel. Look at this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. 
work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul's like, keep working, and you can continue working out your salvation. Why? Because the one who works mightily in you is God. To do what? To will and to work, to give us both the desire to obey and the enabling power to do it. Do you see? You see, even our work is by grace through faith. It's in complete dependence upon him. We are called to get after it, but only because of what he's already done. And according to this passage, our work and his work are not equivalent. One work causes the other, according to scripture, and it's not ours. Uh, John 15 verse five says, I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He's like, if I don't abide in you, you can't abide in me. Like we work, we expend effort to become more like Jesus because he has worked and he is working. Obedience in our lives is the fruit of God's work in us. And that's hopeful. That's so hopeful, why? Um, You ever bought a piece of furniture from Ikea? Uh, We bought, years ago, we bought our couches from Ikea and they came in these really little tiny boxes and I refused to believe that all the parts to the couches was in those two little boxes. But I found out that you cut those things open and it's like everything just jumps out at you. <clears throat> but after we got into it, by the time we cut everything out and laid it out and we had the instructions ready to read, I realized that the special little tool that you always need to assemble things wasn't in there. I'm like, you sent my couches in pieces. You said, do this work to put them together, but then you didn't give me the tools that I needed to actually do that work. I say that, why? God doesn't do that to us with our sanctification. He doesn't send us away without the tools that we need to work it out. He doesn't send us away in our own power. He's with us. He empowers us for the work. God works even in our work in sanctification. And that's hopeful. I want to come back to this phrase, fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The reason I come back to it is because Verse 13 really informs this phrase. He's like, keep working. Work out your salvation. Do that with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God. It's God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. What's this 
fear and trembling that I'm supposed to have. Here's what it's not. This is not terror of God. Like an unbeliever who is terrified to face the just wrath of God. This is not that. How do we know that? We've placed our trust in Jesus. Jesus took God's wrath in our place. We no longer fear his just wrath for our sin. Jesus took it. So I don't run in terror in the same way that an unbeliever will bow in terror on the final, on the final day. Then, then what is this? Typically in the New Testament, when we talk about fear as this idea of awe and reverence, it's awe of who God is and what he's done. And according to these verses, what he continues to do in us. This is looking back to the gospel before this and just being in awe of who God is and looking forward to what it's saying about God continuing to work out our salvation in us and we are reverent to him. This is recognizing that he is big and we are small. This is recognizing that he deserves all the glory for everything and I deserve none of it. But, but notice, this is fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who works. I think there's another hopeful thing here and it's this. God is committed to your sanctification. That's hopeful. God is actually more committed to our holiness than we ever will be. John chapter 15 says that he will prune us so that we bear fruit. Hebrews chapter 12 says that like a good father, hear that, a good father. He disciplines us in order to cultivate Christ-likeness in us and mold us into his image. He, he will do what is needed in our lives as Christians to help us grow. He'll bring circumstances and people to lovingly correct us and refine us, to push us out of our comfort zones and all according to his good purposes and pleasure and plan. And I don't know about you, but that's simultaneously hopeful for me. And as I thought about it this week, it caused me to tremble. It's hopeful because he saved us. He, he loves us. We are his children. And so he can't leave us in our sin the way we are. It's not what's best for us. What's best for us is that we walk in obedience to him. And so when we don't, he says, I love you enough to help you do that. And it makes me tremble because 
holy hurts. <laughs> like, growth can be painful. And so it means that I have to, and we have to, cling to his promises. Knowing that he works in our lives in these ways because he loves us. Knowing that in his good pleasure and according to his good purposes, this is for our good and for his glory. We cling to the promise that one day when he returns, he will complete the work in us once and for all. I mean, back at the beginning of Philippians, verse six, we see this promise. He's like, I'm sure of this. Why is he sure of this? Because he knows it's promise of the Lord that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's that other big word that talks about the aspects of our salvation. Glorification means that one day we will be fully and finally saved saved even from the very presence of sin in our lives. Next week, we're gonna, we're gonna look at some specific examples of how we work out our salvation, but as we close this morning, in our small group this week, this came up as we, as we looked back on the beginning of chapter two and even all the way back to verse 27 and we said how do we do all that how do we do all that God is calling us to do live worthy of the gospel unified in humility considering others more significant than ourselves and I think this is Paul this week telling us exactly how we do that and I think two words summarize these two verses and I think they summarize the whole of the Christian life lived out in this world. And they're this, trust and obey. I wake up this morning and afresh I place my trust in Jesus Christ. As I look back to what he has accomplished on our behalf and as I celebrate the ways that he is continuing to work in me for his glory, and then what do I do? I choose to walk in obedience to him. And then what do you do tomorrow? You wake up and you trust him for who he is and what he has done and what he promises to do. And I choose to walk in obedience to him. I think sometimes with trust and obedience, just because we're human, we can tend to swing to one side or the other, don't we? Like we, we wrestle with how these things work together. Wait, God's sovereignty, my responsibility. Yes, but yes, but ah. And we struggle holding these two things together the way scripture tells us that we should. And so the temptation can be to be more on this side or this side. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, Nate, I am good at obedience. Like you say, keep working, and I say, amen. I, I like checklists. I like black and white. I love doing, so I'm just gonna do, do, do. So much so that maybe there's a temptation for you to think that somehow in the midst of that, that it's in your own power that you're doing that. Or maybe even 
It becomes about your glory. You're like, but Nate, God helps those who help themselves, doesn't he? That's not in the Bible. (laughs) In fact, as you look at scripture, it tends to be a little bit more like God helps those who could never help themselves. And maybe this week, the thing that you need to do is look back at the gospel and remember that it's only because of God's sovereign initiative in your life to will and to work that you even want to obey him or or are even able to obey him, at least with the proper motivation. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says this, I worked harder than any of them. Whoa, (laughs) I worked harder than everybody. Then he follows it with, though it was not I, it was the grace of God that is in me. Maybe you're like, man, Nate, I'm, I'm really good at trust. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the obedience thing. I know it's all God's work. Just let go and let God, right? No, again, not in the Bible. And maybe this week you need to look back at the gospel and remind yourself because of the work that he's accomplished, he commands us to expend effort by his grace to further know him and love him and to know his ways and to obey him moment by moment in this life. J.I. Packer said this, the Christian's motto should not be let go and let God, but instead trust God and get going. I wanna end this morning with a quote from John Murray. He was a 19th century Scottish theologian. I found I like the Scottish theologians and pastors. He summarized this whole section of scripture in this way, he said this, God's working in us is not suspended because we work, nor our working suspended because God works. Neither is the the relation strictly one of cooperation, as if God does his part and we did ours so that the coordination of both produced the required result. God works and we also work, but the relation is that because God works, we work. All working out of salvation on our part is the effect of God's working in us. We have here not only the explanation of all acceptable activity on our part, but we also have the incentive to our willing and working. The more persistently active we are in working, the more persuaded we may be that all the energizing grace and power is of God. And in that, we rejoice. Trust and obey. Work out your salvation daily with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure his good pleasure. Father,
Lord, would you, would you help us as we think about this? I Thank you. Thank you that you don't leave us in our working out of our salvation with our own tools because we are not capable. Thank you that it's both motivated and empowered because of your work and by your spirit in us, Lord. Thank you for justifying us. Thank you for saving us and thank you now that we get through trusting in you and walking in obedience to become more and more like you across this lifetime, Lord. Would you help? Would you continue to increasingly grow in us a desire to look like you and to walk in obedience to you? And Lord, would you increasingly help us? Would we sense your help and not just as individuals, Lord, but remembering that this was delivered first to to the church, to the body of Christ. Would we remember to do that here in community? Would we lovingly help each other to walk faithfully in obedience with you? to support each other in our pursuit of Christ-likeness, to press in lovingly when we tend to drift one way or another towards obedience or trust and to not hold these things both together in this in the way that you've asked us and required us to do, Lord. We need you <laughs> as we get to see you at work in our lives, Lord. Would you daily remind us that it's not us and it's not for our glory, but it's only ever and always because of you and for your glory. We love you in your precious name. Amen.